0: Getting through the first 10 days of Skye's disappearance was hard enough. It was an experience beyond words. But in order to get the investigation going, my mother and I needed to take a 20 plus hour flight from Hartford, Connecticut to Sapporo, Japan. A flight that would give us ample time to consider all the possibilities, to try and analyze what Skye must have been thinking But in reality, in a high-stress situation, where time is of the essence, neither my mother nor I possess the mental fortitude to actually focus and accept the gravity of the situation. This is episode two of Surviving Sky, arriving in Japan. If I'm being honest, I was excited to go to Japan. The gravity of the situation had not yet hit me, so it felt exciting to travel abroad and find my sister. I really thought that as soon as we landed, we would see her, they would have found her, and then perhaps, you know, we would have made a little trip out of it. We would get over the initial anger and confusion and then just carry on. Sure, there would be tumultuous emotions, but it would eventually pass and we could make the best of a fucked-up situation. But that isn't how it went. The flight was long, cramped. I counted the hours. I can't remember what my mother and I talked about. I think I tried to keep it upbeat. This was our first time going to Japan. It was the first time either one of us had traveled abroad internationally. This was obviously a much bigger trip than visiting our neighbors to the north. This was the longest flight that either one of us had ever been on. But beyond those details, everything's kind of a blur. I think we had a layover in Chicago. I also thought we had another one in Los Angeles, but I think I'm wrong. The route brought us over Alaska. Which made me question everything I knew about geography and flight routes. And in regards to flight routes, I mean... I never really thought about those that much. But that example alone is a perfect indicator that we had no idea what we were about to get ourselves into. We were that inexperienced in a world outside of our own little town. When we landed, we were greeted by the ambassador and the police. One thing to make note of that made everything much smoother is that the police were all connected. There was no jurisdiction between local, state, and federal. It was all connected, so we only had to go through the formalities once, and then everything would be disseminated throughout the country. And this was different than how the American system worked, at least in 2008. The local police weren't necessarily connected to the state police, and then getting the FBI involved was, was something else entirely. It seemed like they didn't even want to bother. We were escorted to a room within the airport. If I remember correctly, it was a white room, the seating was black, and there was a coffee table. This was all I was able to take in after essentially living a day up in the air. I remember trying to read the room, but I was already a half a world behind. They greeted us with a formal bow. My mother stood there catatonic, and I missed the cues entirely the order in which we sat down threw me off and maybe it was my slumped posture or the way i spoke but i definitely threw them off there was a delay in communication obviously since everything needed to be translated there was panic and exhaustion in her voice we told them everything we could everything that made sense and of course everything that didn't make sense and it felt like they could make sense of none of it Most questions were posed towards my mother. And I think she tried to do most of the talking, but if she couldn't find the words or the anxiety held her tongue, I would jump in to finish her sentences. Everything was a whirlwind. It felt fast, but slow. And one thing that wasn't lost in translation was our emotions, our exhaustion, and our utter frustration. The ambassador was an American from the Midwest also an area neither my mother and i had ever been to before and even speaking to him we felt a little foreign his name was ian hillman he went to harvard he was an american who spoke fluent japanese so our similarities ended at us both being american he was kind enough to escort us to the hotel he showed us how to use the public transit I remember my mother and I tried to have a conversation with him on the train, but I also remember how the vibes felt off. I had used New York City public transit before, and it didn't dawn on me that there would be a difference. But in Japan, even in a packed car, it would be quiet. Nobody's really having conversations. So it was immediately clear that we don't talk on the train, not the way we were talking at least. Not as Americans, we didn't need anybody to tell us this. We felt it. We felt it immediately. And honestly, even with our short time there, I grew to love and respect the silence, the respect that the silence brings when you're on a train with strangers. I loved the the music, the train arrival music in the stations. It was clean. It was friendly. It was inviting. It was just nice. The ambassador walked us directly to the hotel. He had scheduled an appointment for us the next morning at the American Embassy in Sapporo to figure out a strategy. He gave us instructions and phone numbers, and ensured we'd be able to find it with no issues the next day. My mother and I checked into the hotel, I believe it was a Sheridan. I don't think we had ever stayed at a Sheridan before but that's not saying much. We weren't travelers or vacationers. The last family vacation was to Disney. I believe I was 13, and I was 24 now, so the last time I had been anywhere with my mother had, uh, (laughs) well, it's been a while. We took our luggage up to the room. I don't remember if we ate. I don't remember if we slept. I think I took out my computer at this point and Plugged it into a wall, or at least tried to, because I remember the heat and a spark, and I honestly never considered the electrical differences. I think I was beyond frustrated at this point, and I put the computer away, and maybe I must have slept. We woke up the next morning, and I remember this was the beginning of trying to figure out how to eat, and the beginning of many Embarrassing moments. Over the next few days, I had found a pastry counter in the lobby, and I would go up to whoever was working and I would point to what I wanted. And it was just this strawberry pastry. And I lived off that <laughs> um, every morning because of the utter embarrassment of trying to order food and not knowing what I was getting. It was uh, humbling and embarrassing and offensive to them. And I apologize wholeheartedly. But that morning after our first of many breakfast faux pas, we made our way over to the American embassy. We took a bus and a train and we walked. I had taken a digital camera with me and would take photos of our locations, sporadically, just in case we got turned around, because not everything was in English and my mother was notoriously bad with directions. So I just wanted to keep her mind at ease and have some sort of reference to look back on. I also remember that I packed this obnoxious, bright, neon pattern hoodie. It was something that would make me stand out in a crowd. Something that my mom could spot from a mile away if, for some reason, we lost each other. It was the one thing that I thought of as a preventative measure to mitigate the risk of having two people missing in Japan. But it didn't take long for us to realize that we didn't need any obnoxious clothing to make us stand out in a crowd. Hokkaido's population is primarily Japanese. I don't think it's ever been registered on a tourist destination for most Americans. So if there are Americans visiting the area, they stand out. To put it frankly, Americans are built bigger. Even a petite American frame could qualify as a linebacker in the sea of Japanese people. So Skye was about 5'8", 180. As soon as we realized the size disparities, we figured that there would be a lot more sightings of her. It was a Friday morning, and the ambassador greeted us as we entered the embassy. It was a wood-paneled office, if I could remember correctly, and there was a portrait of George W. Bush on the wall. The embassy was going to be closed over the weekend, so the ambassador wanted to ensure that we were going to keep busy while we were waiting for the next work week to begin. There's nothing more settling than waiting around for a Monday to come when you have your loved one missing. But Mr. Hillman had prepared a stack of missing persons flyers from the photo of Sky we had given him. He had prepared two laminated scripts for us, one for me and one for my mother, in English and in Japanese. The information on the flyer was both in Japanese and English. And the idea was for us to walk around the city and pass out these missing persons flyers. Seemed easy enough. I had seen this on TV and in movies before. Well, what could possibly go wrong? Well, you know, everything, I, I guess. <laughs> what no one informed us of is how Japanese culture reacts to being handed something that they didn't ask for. It's not that they were ungrateful, it was just that they didn't want the responsibility of whatever it was that was on this piece of paper, or even if it was a gift, they just weren't going to take it. So just imagine two frustrated and emotional American women wandering the streets in a foreign city, trying to pass out flyers of a missing person and not being able to communicate what it is because we don't speak the language and most people there didn't speak English. Most people would kindly refuse or continue walking. If someone did take it and then look at it, they would come back to us to return it. My mother would stutter and stammer and get emotional and try to give it back to them, hoping that maybe this was the way they could communicate. We couldn't even post them up on telephone poles or bulletin boards. We were later informed that there were local police departments and there were bulletin boards for missing persons flyers there, and that's where they could go. I remember my mother went into a restaurant and handed it to whoever was at the counter. They looked at it and handed it back to her. We soon found ourselves walking around the street feeling utterly defeated and embarrassed. And then we happened upon a McDonald's, something that felt very American. We could, maybe we can go in there and maybe they can understand. I remember walking into the McDonald's with my mom and there were a lot of people in there. We thought that this was good. We had potential here. I started off by going to some of the people waiting in line, showing them the script and my sister's flyer. And this was the first time we were met with actual resistance. They were physically uncomfortable with their presence, some even recoiled. Anyone who had taken a flyer gave it back to us immediately. And while we stood at the back of the line, soon enough the workers were yelling over the counter at us, yelling, and then all of a sudden all the people waiting were yelling at us. We had no idea what they were saying, but it was obvious that we needed to leave. My mother might have been in tears, I may have profusely been apologizing and we left only to be followed by a few other customers who continued to yell at us. I could see that my mother still wanted to try to pass these flyers out, but it was very obvious at this point that this wasn't the method to do this, that we were doing something wrong and we didn't know what it was at that point. This was our first day, alone, in Japan, walking around a city foreign to us, in a culture we knew nothing about. We were passing out flyers to find my sister, my mother's daughter. It was in that moment when it hit me on how serious this was, and how out of the element we were. Seeing my mom upset made me angry. I was frustrated, and I told her this isn't the way. We, we aren't doing this anymore. And to circle back to that Friday in the embassy, I remember how kindly and how gently Mr. Hillman would talk to us. But it was also painfully clear that this was something that was completely out of his element. Trying to wrangle two hysterical and emotional American women was one thing, let alone trying to make sure and ensure that they were going to have something to do while they were in this foreign country with their loved one missing. I don't think Harvard had a class for this. And I can attest to the fact that it doesn't feel like American policing even has a class for things like this laws and policies are black and white but emotions are a fucking jackson pollock painting there's no venn diagram out there where these two circles overlap at any point at any time in any goddamn universe and i don't remember the details of the rest of that friday morning in the embassy but i realized quickly that there wasn't much we could do And that stack of missing persons flyers that Mr. Hillman had prepared for us was probably the most that we can do as just two hysterical people wandering the streets. I can't remember what we really did after that meeting at the embassy. I think we just walked around the city and talked and hoped and took in the sights and sounds of a a new foreign place. It was kind of exciting at that moment. I don't believe we passed out the flyers at any point that day. I think we made it a plan to do everything the next day. Besides walking around the city and exploring, we retreated back to the hotel. We made phone calls back home. We tried to rest and get over the jet lag. I looked for a new adapter for my computer and maybe a new plug just in case that spark I had seen the night before had actually caused any damage. I returned some emails, my mother made phone calls. I think we gave an interview or two at that point. At that time, I was doing some freelance work with MTV and I remember reaching out to them to see if they had any media connections. But besides that, that's all I can remember about that Friday there. There's something else that I'm just remembering now, that my cell phone didn't work there. The networks were different in Japan. And I was able to use my computer eventually, but most phone calls had to be made with the hotel phone. So with our first weekend in Japan, after the failed attempts of passing out missing persons flyers, we were just kind of left alone, left to our own devices. We didn't necessarily have a plan. We just had no idea what to do. We were in this foreign country and the embassy was closed during the weekend. So yeah, like literally what were we gonna do? I had received an email from one of the producers that I had worked with at MTV. It had been hard to get in touch with the media out there due to obviously the language and also just not having a phone other than the hotel phone. So when I got an email back from one of the producers, they said that they were able to contact some media outlets in Japan for me. So by the time Monday rolled around and the embassy was open again, I believe we had some sort of meeting with him or some sort of conversation where they were doing the best that they could, but it was just really a waiting game they were waiting on leads or sightings they had even uh dispatched a helicopter to check the surrounding mountain areas and stuff like that and they did recover some bodies but none of them were sky and at this point it must have been april 13th 14th something like that and sky was spotted on april 10th but at this point we didn't know that yet so all we could do was wait But honestly, that was just so infuriating, just waiting around. I mean, we were frustrated, emotional, and fucking hungry. So we asked the ambassador the practicalities of having a press conference. I had mentioned to him what I had already been able to arrange. He thought it was a good idea, but he also knew that being in Sapporo, we would be limited as to our media reach. So in order to get better media exposure, we would have to go to Tokyo. So let me bring you up to like present day. I had recently just had a conversation with my mom, and I've been refraining, trying to compare our memories <laughs> of this whole situation, because I'm trying to uh, just remember it from my own perspective and not have any other kind of influence in it. But as always, this does come up with me and my mom, and we were discussing our time in Tokyo. And what struck me as odd is that she remembered being there. She was like, oh, we were just there for a day, maybe two days. And I was like, no, we were there for like an entire week. So I need to go through all my mom's paperwork again and figure out the exact timeline or at least a close approximation. What's been interesting when taking this type of approach and talking about my memories of this endeavor I have to make sure that I'm in this good mental state because I am being re-traumatized just by talking about it, just by diving deep into my memories. So in this process, I'm writing down like a brief outline of events, but as I'm talking my way through it, I'm remembering new, new events. And I often have to take frequent breaks in order to get the wording right, to get what I'm trying to remember across to the listener appropriately. But as I do this, I also need to double back and re-listen to what I've already done to make sure I'm not repeating myself. But when I listen to myself again, I also remember new things which can make this a very difficult and time-consuming process, because I can endlessly tinker with it and add, and then add again, and then remove, and then add, and then reshape the whole story, basically. And something else that I'm interested to see is that if I listen to this again, six months from now, the story will be the same, of course, but would the tone be different? Because I Who you are evolves and changes over time. And also putting this out there for new listeners. Um, If I get any feedback, that can also change how I look at this. And in order to keep this digestible for the listeners, I'll end it here before we take the flight to Tokyo.